Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. I am your host, Michelle. The, uh, well, I feel like I should have like a moniker here. I'm Michelle, the uh, resurrected one. I am, I'm Henry the Quickening, because I know what that is. I know what a quickening is. I started the movie knowing what a quickening is, and I still know what a quickening is. Uh, I'm Henry the Quickening. The Quickening one. Mm Mm-hmm. I've noticed you've been quickening since we started this podcast. Yep. I know, I've, I've really never stopped quickening. No. Quicker and quicker with each passing moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, so we're talking about uh, Sir Lord Sean Connery yes. this week, right? Lord and Savior Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. I actually need you to tell me what he won the Oscar for because I can't remember. He, uh, he is a Best Supporting Actor Oscar holder for The Untouchables. Right. Uh, okay. Where he played an Irish cop with a Scottish accent, uh, as you do, which which fits in nicely in this movie where he plays a Spanish warlord with a with a Scottish, Scottish accent. accent. <laughs> yep. Yes. So, yeah, so as I'm sure you as, as I'm sure you've all guessed from our hints here, we are talking about the uh, equally acclaimed and award winning film Highlander Two. Highlander Two. The, the quickening. quickening. <laughs> the quickest. Oh, uh, Sean Connery. I was, it was, I'm so excited to talk about Sean Connery, everything about him and everything about this, because this was a wonderful experience for me. He's a beautiful institution. I he have is. such, I, like, you know, nobody's perfect, but as an actor, I find him, his commitment to never do anything other than the one thing that he does to be yes. very laudable. Uh, he's just like a, big cuddly hairy monster uh (laughs) and he's also he'll probably be one of the only beauty pageant contestants that were and winners that we're going to ever do an episode on beauty pageant oh because he was was, mr universe he was mr universe yes that was from an era that was from a different era back when to be a strong man you just had to be um a you strong just had, man. You just had to be able to yeah. suck in your gut and weigh like more than 150 pounds. It was mm-hmm. all these like by today's standards, like extremely average sized guys flexing and sucking. Right. And, extremely uh, dad bod. But like a like, bunch of dad bod dudes yeah. over the age of 40 just working it and getting greased up. And I absolutely love that period of history. Just a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of dads mm-hmm. in their underwear. Yeah, he he was be- beautiful as a young man. Beautiful as an old man. Yeah, uh, it's a good-looking man. He's he's very handsome. has has had this basically the same like beard mustache combo since the six, 60s. 70s. Yeah, like late. What was late Bond? Probably like seventies. Yeah. Yeah, late late sixties. So I feel like there was the clean-shaven Sean Connery Bond. Mm-hmm. There was him in Zardoz, where he grew the handlebar mustache. Dear God. And then everything else just sort of grew around that. And then never changed afterwards. I wonder. So he won the Mr. Universe pageant like before he became a famous actor. In 1863. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> before talkies, he <laughs> won Mr. Universe, and then he became Bond, Mish Money Penny, and then mm-hmm. became Zardoz, where he got to reprise his role as slightly strong man in underwear. Yeah, in a weird like leotard strap Dude. outfit it's like kind of if you dressed up like 
Mario from the video game Mario, but like a sexy, he was a sexy like Mario Halloween Mario. costume. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. he was like pleather dominatrix Mario, post-apocalyptic Burning Man Mario. For, yep. Yeah. With with a beautiful head of like braided horse hair as a <laughs> as his hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he rocks a lot of ponytails, and he does in this movie as well. He, he rocks does, an he amazing does. ponytail. Yeah, so we're not talking about Zardoz, although we could. It's a it's a beautiful bad movie. Uh, but it's, an, no, it's, we're... it's a movie that features a lot of Sean Connery. This is not a movie that features a lot of Sean Connery, but no. I have zero regrets because guess what? Everyone needs more Highlander 2 in their life, and everyone needs to hear everything about Highlander 2 because I know I'm not going to stop telling my friends about this forever now that I've seen it's, it. It's a fucking incredible movie. It's my favorite it's... thing. Uh, so unlike the last two movies, so, uh, the first movie we did with, for this podcast was Surfer Dude, which wasn't a movie at all and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And we watched The Astronaut's Wife, which was a movie where like sort of one thing happened. Yeah. And then there was this, which was like a space opera on the ground where about 300 things happen simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, like 299 of them are decapitation and yelling at the sky. Ooh, but, yep. Dude, Very like, slow motion decapitation. Holy shit. So many things happen in slow motion that should have been sped up. But my favorite thing about this movie is, one, we have to talk about the fact that neither of us have seen the original Highlander. <laughs> I don't know and what I got- it's about. I got a lot of shit for it from a few people when I told them I was doing this podcast because they're shocked that it, Highlander's exactly on brand for me as like a mm-hmm. cheesy 80s movie that I would love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about it like, well, maybe maybe I should do my research. And then, uh, and then we decided last night to go in clean with no mm-hmm. prior knowledge. And I haven't even seen the trailer for Highlander 1. All I've heard is like the hype, but not the mm-hmm. plot or anything about it. So I, I'm going in blind. So I did. A, I also have no idea what Highlander is about, uh, except I'm familiar with the phrase "there can be only one." I, I know that there can be only one, and I know that the characters have the same. Like Sean Connery and McLeod. I don't know this actor's names. Characters are are the like the same characters in the original. I think. I think because I was like looking at trivia on the uh, on the IMDb yeah. that uh, this this movie has like nothing canonically related to the first movie. Yeah. So my it's favorite thing, I'm watching this movie and uh, Cameron, my, my friend who loves, like our friend who loves watching cheesy 80s movies and has introduced me to just a laundry list of them. I started furiously texting him in the middle of watching this, just like, dude, have you seen Highlander 2? You've got to get on that because, spoiler alert, it's amazing. And he's like, yeah, spoiler alert, I own it on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> and then he proceeds to tell me, he's like, this movie basically... Highlander 1 sets up this entire world. Highlander 2 disregards and completely dismantles it and then just lets Michael Ironside do whatever the fuck he's doing in this movie. (laughs) Enjoy. (laughs) Which I think is probably the best way to summarize what it is. I have no context, though, so I can only compare it to to nothing. I just know about this movie. I just appreciate that they decide for a sequel to make an entirely different stories an entirely different universe that like not only disregards the what's that no like nothing's canon it's just like a different no no starting from scratch with the same actors (laughs) yeah it's sort of like uh if like if stalin's history of 
pre-Stalin Russia was a movie. It was like they just pretended that the entire preface didn't happen. So I was watching the beginning of the movie where there's like all this weird exposition yeah. and these flashback sequences. Uh, and, and I was thinking, well, this must be from the first movie. It's not. Yeah. It's making up a new back story for the sequel to the first movie that no longer exists in the canon of the sequel. I know. It's incredible. It's such a bold choice. It's a really bold choice. So I have an I have an important question right off the top. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, there are multiple cuts of this movie that exist, and hmm. depending on which cut you watch, there is or is not the presence of aliens. So Ooh. I need to ask you, did you get a read on this film like that there is an alien planet or aliens at all? So I I did I, I wrote down. Wait, are they aliens? I believe that I believe that Highlander, uh, the McCloud, the, uh, the main character of this movie, <laughs> and Ramirez, the name of Sean Connery's character, yes. and Michael Ironside, uh, whose name is Katana, are all aliens. Sent to the future on a different planet? Okay. So you were to believe it was a different planet. Uh I got very confused. I guess I couldn't tell because it felt like a different planet. Where did you... I watched this movie on Amazon. I watched it on YouTube. Interesting. I am curious. I'm curious if we compare plot points. If it's different. (laughs) Because before we get into plot and all that, one thing that I learned is that um, the director made a movie and the idea of the movie he made was quite a bit different from what was theatrically theatrically released right so when he attended the premiere he walked out after 15 minutes furious and fed up because it was not the movie that he made they were told there was like a ton of rewrites and everyone got frustrated markedly director uh his name's over in here somewhere i forget what it is but um the oh russell uh mulcahy was pretty fucking pissed and apparently it's because his cut completely it edited around and eliminated um, an alien planet called Planet Zeist, which is yeah, so where Zeist, they are at the beginning. Zeist is allegedly. mentioned, I think, in the cut that I watched. But ah. they, but when they sentence McLeod and Sean Connery to not death, they say yes. they're sending them into the future. Yeah, Same. which that's also the one that you watched. But yes. But it definitely, Zeist is also, the phrase, the word Zeist is definitely mentioned in the movie that I watched. Hmm. It could be that it got mentioned later. I went back and watched the beginning of the version I watched because I was like, I remember the first time I watched it, I took down the note that the whole landscape has that kind of Dune, Mad dune, Maxi totally dune. Yep. aesthetic. It was that 80s, like it's a lot of warm colors and it looks like a, maybe like a, like it was painted, like a backdrop to a play and it, or it looks mm-hmm. like a, it looks like the cover of a sci-fi paperback yes that's what the scenery looks like and so i was like is this sort of like sci-fi like well it's not an alien planet it's a desert wasteland so i'm guessing it's just like a post-apocalyptic world and then they're going to the future and then i read all this shit on the internet and realized that that was possibly an alien planet yeah how great is that (laughs) there's there's we may have not watched the same movie so many different movies happening simultaneously within this movie in like weird multiverse parallel universes. Yes. It's, it's so good. So, all right, let's, let's try to summarize 
what the fuck this movie is. Yes. I, so. It begins. It begins in the year 2024. Yeah, it begins in four years. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, honestly, I their version of the future, like, they nail it way more than I would expect a movie like this to nail how the, what the future is going to be like or the yeah. future is like currently like. Uh, <laughs> so Highlander is an old man who you would be forgiven for thinking is played by Albert Brooks, uh, but is in fact played by the actor playing oh, McLeod, good, the Highlander. Good call. Yeah. He's, he's so Albert Brooks. I have, I have things to say about old McLeod. I have we things can to say talk about to that. that for in sure. a second. Uh, then it flashes back to him being on either his planet or pr- like sure. prehistoric futuristic society. He's in a where- weird landscape. We're Sean... We can decide on that. Yes, absolutely. It's a Dune-like okay. something or other. And Sean Connery leads an uprising with Highlander, mm-hmm. the, the McLeod. Uh, they lose the uprising. The uprising includes uh, swords and machine guns. Uh, <laughs> and They really split the difference there. Yeah. They... <laughs> They're, the, the villain, whose name is Katana, is played by Michael Ironside, mm-hmm. is captures them is going to sentence them to death but it's up to these like three bald weirdos to sentence them and instead of sentencing them to death they sentence them to go to the future and be so this is not the movie this is not the version of the movie no it is in the version i watched but what i was taking issue with is that those three men that look kind of like monks i'm i'm guessing they're sort of like uh Oh, I don't know, like Sears or some kind of... They're... Yeah, they all look like the Castrati from Game of Thrones, but yeah. like three of them. Totally. But they never move their mouths. So no, that's there's true. just this omniscient... There's this voice that's kind of like the great and powerful Oz, and I mm-hmm. couldn't decide if it's the three of them as like a collective like uh, hive mind speaking to Highlander and like McCloud and Ramirez, or mm-hmm. if it's... Those three are like overseeing some kind of trial, and then there's this other like omniscient presence that's ruling the chambers. But I, I couldn't figure it out, and I wonder if you watched a different cut, if there's like if it's spelled out for you that that's like a guy. I no, don't know. I I think it's the Baldies talking, but you're right; their mouths are not moving. Okay, uh, so it's those guys. They're just doing it. Yeah, they're I like... think that must that must be. Okay. But yeah, I, I did briefly noticed and didn't process that they weren't moving their mouths and they're talking. Uh, couldn't figure out who was speaking. <laughs> so, and then they do this like really heavy handed exposition. The f- beginning of the movie is just like pure, just a fucking funnel, like a, uh, a goose foie gras funnel of exposition. It's title uh, ex- cards. It's like old style, yeah. like 1920s uh, ex- exposition they right. really spell out for you this whole modern futuristic plot and then they flash you back and then they do more exposition in the flashback with like yes. here's how the highlander works where they they're going to go to the future and live a million lives and they can only die if you cut their heads off and then they flash back forward yes to back to uh, the future to the, to the to the to the past future other planet maybe uh contemporary future earth where albert brooks highlander is uh, he's just like chilling at a bar, and Virginia Madsen uh, 
God, and I couldn't the... believe how star-studded <laughs> this movie was. By the way, I'm watching the credits go across the screen at the beginning, and I just—I was by myself. I tried to convince Jesse to watch this with me, and I was like, "Dude, you're going to regret not watching whatever this is." And he was like, "No, I will be decidedly downstairs. Good luck with you." And I'm up there just getting hyped, like I'm yelling to myself, highly caffeinated, just kind of freaking out, like Virginia Madsen, John C. McGinley's in this. I can't wait. And uh, yeah, what he determined he made a ca- tactical error though, because yeah. dude, yeah, this Virginia movie Madsen and John C. McGinley both both bringing among their worst performances. Uh, you can't quite blame them for it. Nah, uh, wasn't that okay? So in the in the uh, old Albert Brooks McLeod future, mm-hmm. the the ozone layer is gone, maybe, and they've like ensconced the Earth in this like dark covering. Uh, that saved the planet but made it all dark. An electromagnetic and... shield that protects Cor- the planet's ozone from... Correct. De- cor- like, yeah, depleting. Yeah, right. Because it was the 80s and, like, the ozone layer was a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah and... this movie was 1991, so I think it was, like, pretty Ooh, recent knowledge. That's way later than I expected it to be. Right? I know. The, the graphics hurt because they needed better graphics, but... I think yeah. yeah, we I looked it up and I think we realized that the ozone was we had a hole in the ozone in the mid eighties, so this was like this was probably like hot on the heels of that. It was in the mm-hmm. public zeitgeist. We all mm-hmm. were talking about it a lot at that time. Not me, but Right. I we was were I'm pretty sure I was learning how to like write in right. cursive and <laughs> learn basic edition. Uh when you were four? Wow. Uh, oh, yeah, I was, well, no, I was five. I wasn't learning how to do any of that. I was probably just like. <laughs> you were coloring. I was coloring and I was, uh, I was dressing up like a cat mm-hmm. and making my mom take pictures of me. That's also what I did this afternoon while I watched this movie. <laughs> Perfect. I had a, I had a ponytail, well, I had a rat tail and I wore sweatpants everywhere. You had everywhere. a rat tail. I had a rat tail. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, the, so Virginia Madsen is like a hacker eco-terrorist uh, yes. who who breaks into the machine that's keeping the electromagnetic field going for reasons that are never explained. And she discovers some stuff in there. She then yeah. tries to, tr- she tracks down McLeod to tell him that maybe the ozone's fine. And then Katana, the villain played by Michael Ironside sends, uh, starts sending people into the future to try to kill. Would McLeod? we call them people? Well, they're porcupine men. Would we men. call them people? We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about the porcupine men. Uh, <laughs> Spine men. Spine yeah. men. God, they're among my least favorite parts of this movie. They... Oh, so disagree. He, he, kills, he kills them, <laughs> uh, and then he, he gets... He, like, turns young, fucks Virginia Madsen against a wall, uh, hmm. calls Sean Connery back, and then Katana comes back, kills a bunch of people... Fights McLeod over and over again to no Forever. end. So many times. Yeah. Uh, in v- With very slow, plodding sword fights. Yeah, a lot uh, of sor- slow really, sword play. Yeah. They, all of the combat in this movie has a very, like, middle school stage combat vibe. That so I, much so. I'm so into it. Me, uh, yeah, me too. I made a lot of notes about that. It was like... <laughs> Like, I'm aware of, and you've worked in theater a lot in your past, and I'm aware of the fact that, like, on stage, it looks a lot different than on film, because when you do swordplay, you you do it really slow for film so that it can be sped up in post and, like, edited around. Mm-hmm. 
Um, editors. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, you guys. They did a really nice job of giving you clean shots and, like, uh, action that can be slightly sped up and still be realistic. And then everybody was just like, mm, I'm going to nah. go ahead and call lunch, and this seems fun. No, nah, <laughs> yeah. Nothing, no work needs to be done here. <laughs> this sword fight takes eight minutes, and that seems perfect to me. <laughs> uh, well, here's the, the spoiler. It will end in somebody's head being cut off. Yeah. Generally don't worry. Don't worry. Decapitation is insured. It's the only way that these men can die. Men? The... Porcu- aliens? Por- Porcupine? Mal- aliens? Any... Who knows? Uh, no one's sure. Uh, Highlanders? Lowlanders? The... Lowlanders. <laughs> Uh, it's more lowlanders than highlanders for sure. Definitely. So I, as far as I can tell, if there's a central plot, like central conflict in this movie, it's the, the like corporation that controls the ozone cover run by John C. McGinley is trying to keep people from knowing that the ozone is fine. Yeah. Because uh, they're making a profit off of it. And Virginia Madsen and, and McLeod and Sean Connery, who eventually comes back, uh, really hits, like, shamelessly hits on a bunch of women and then dies. Yeah, uh, it is. They, uh, they, like, figure out how to take down the electromagnetic shield because mm-hmm. they discover everything's okay at yeah. the very, very end. Uh, Katana, the villain, is trying to kill Highlander for unrelated reasons uh, that are never entirely explained. Yeah, they are unrelated. They're highly unrelated. There's two separate separate... movies happening in this movie, and that's not a criticism. This movie (laughs) fucking rules. It makes ambitious choices, and it It commits to them enough that it kind of works. Eventually, they kill Katana, and they take down the electromagnetic shield, and that's the movie. And then the the movie's over. Yeah, man, I don't know. So, like, I love that... I love the premise, because with me knowing nothing about the original Highlander, I don't know how justice was served in those times, or in that Mm -hmm. setting, or wherever the Mm -hmm. fuck that movie took place, but I do know that in this movie, it's like there's like a rebel alliance, and like a rebel insurgents, and then they're like kind of suppressed and taken to trial, and the judgment is either it's that General Katana saying, give me permission and I'll decapitate them right now. And then the, like, three monk dudes with their hive mind being like, no, no, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to transport these fellas to the future. And then they're going to just live out some lives there. And eventually some of you from here will be transported to the future as well. And if they can conquer you there, then they get a choice. And that choice is either (laughs) dying in the future or coming back and having a mortal life here in the past. What? <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the future, which as far as I can tell, begins in like 1500. So however like, let's far... let's let them live out a few centuries. It's the long game. Let's really put <laughs> right, them to the test. Their punishment is to live forever. Unless yeah. they don't want to. Unless they'd rather not. And then <laughs> it's back to square one. But first they have to definitely decapitate a few guys. Over the course of about four to five hundred years. Decapitate guys whose necks are made of crepe paper. One of the porcupine men's decapitated by an electrical cord. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. This just loose a, on the ground. 
There's a lot of sword fighting, but a lot of the decapitation, it, you could just, like, the stiff breeze is going to knock their heads off. Oh, my God. That scene was rad, too, because uh, you get the cloud just kind of running across. First of all, the landscape of 2024 is, um, it's, like, 80s steampunk. It's, like, the 1940s mm-hmm. meets, uh, like, Victorian England meets the future. It's so everything's Brand like Blade Runner plus Indiana Jones. It's like the yeah. Harrison Ford verse. You're getting a lot of like, choosing. yeah, like a lot of wet cobblestone streets, industrial things creating steam and sparks kind of wherever you go. Is that time in the 80s when I don't know what the collective aesthetic decision was, but everything just always looks wet? <laughs> I mean, I guess this movie was like early 90s, but kind of same, same. Like, do you ever remember seeing like, just a couple movies that everything looks like it was shot in a sewer. Yeah. Like uh, the Mario Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, to be fair, the Mario Brothers movie is, is set in a, a sewer. sewer. In yeah. An, yeah, exactly. So like that kind of aesthetic, I guess just everything always looks kind of shiny and recently wet down and like you're inside of a, a warehouse with a giant puddle in it and something is creating sparks ad infinitum. I, I really appreciate... So I noticed that when... Virginia Madsen and uh, I think it's still old Albert Brooks McLeod are they're like getting into a his uh, his convertible car and mm-hmm. they are dry but there's like rain everywhere else around them yeah uh, like sometimes it looks like the... a loose just like bucket of water just being uh-huh. thrown at stuff or just like pipes that have no end point just urban like emptying out urban waterfalls. <laughs> That's exactly what the fuck it is. It's so funny. Right. But um, it never touches any human being. No. But it, yeah, it's a Mario aesthetic. It's like there's a lot of tubes and a lot of light. Lightning. So much lightning. They really the, took that ugh. lightning effect and they just went to town. That's where like at least half the budget must have gone. By, by lightning effect, you mean when they like took a needle and scratched on the film a little bit over and over again? <laughs> yeah. It's it is like that. the <laughs> lo-fiest lo-fi shit I have seen in a movie made after 1950 ever. It's, um, it's... was it Gremlins 2 where they have like a... <laughs> Are I you assure familiar? you I don't know, but continue. <laughs> there's this... Okay, there's there's this one gremlin in Gremlins 2 that's just electricity gremlin. And his mm-hmm. whole thing is that he can create electricity everywhere. That movie has a similar style. Things are definitely slick and wet. But his whole deal is like he just creates what looks like cartoon zigzags that come out of his fingertips and attach to everything. And I feel like they plugged that straight into this movie. And that's just like overlaid on just about every scene. There's just constant lightning. What does it yeah. mean, though? Is it... Magic? It's part of the Highlander thing. Like, because Ramirez and McLeod, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the, there's electricity in this movie that I like, and there's electricity in this movie that I don't, and I can't decide how they, where they exactly overlap. Because in the, the like, fast, past, future, alien, flashback, flash forward beginning, uh, where Sean Connery tells mcleod that he's the chosen highlander they do yeah. this like electric patty cake that i really like me and then too he draws electric cursive on mcleod's forehead that like i also a, really like like with an et finger uh-huh with an, he gets exactly. a glowy et finger and he writes something on his forehead and everybody is uh 
like solemnly watching this ceremonial act and I'm trying to understand is this something from the first movie I love that neither of us know and anyone that's listening is just fucking screaming right now because everybody's seen Highlander but I like to go in pure and I'm happy that neither of us have any idea why there's magic or why when the two of them get cast into the future and uh mcleod is like how will i find you we'll always because uh sean connor ramirez says we'll always have a connection and mcleod says how will i find you and he says you'll find me and that there's just going to be a way of finding each other i i thought it was maybe through the swords but it seems like it's not it seems like it's like it's just electricity Because he, like, calls him at some point back, and then Sean Connery ends up in a production of Hamlet in Glencoe, Scotland. (laughs) Yeah, he does. So, like, he's able to do something there. What? So, I I do understand that Sean Connery's character dies in the first Highlander. Yes. Like, like Perma I read that, and then... This movie doesn't seem to explain why he's back to me. Does it explain it to you? Oh, he's no, just abs- back, right? Absolutely not. He's just okay. back. Okay. Uh, and I believe that he was his character was not in the original draft of the script. No. The McLeod insisted that he be in it because it was the only thing that he wanted to do was hang out with Sean Connery. Yeah, they were friends in real life. Like uh, Chris Lambert and Sean Connery became buddies, and so he was threatening to walk out on the production of this movie if Sean Connery wasn't cast. Excellent play because mm-hmm. Sean Connery got paid three point five million dollars for six to nine days of work. Uh huh. It's great. He showed up to set for like. That's my one... rate. Is that not your rate? It's a solid rate. He basically came in for about a solid work week, and then a solid week, and then got paid three point five million dollars. Uh, I I'm guessing that a lot of his contract stipulated he would be doing voiceovers as in mm-hmm. lieu of showing up to set because there's a lot of voiceover work but that also could be from the first one there could be a lot of voiceover sean connery that i'm not aware of all the voiceover that i heard from sean connery in this movie w- was repetition of lines that he said on screen so yes. he didn't do extra booth time they just took the audio and put it back into the movie again yeah oh my god so um i mean we kind of went over plot so let's just get into to fun shit let's talk, talk highlights. about highlights because I got to tell you, I have a very small list of lowlights. This this was like a long list of these are my highlights at this point. I, um, some of my highlights and lowlights are the same lights. Yeah, to be fair. yeah, that's true. There's shades of both. But one thing I have to say is when we're introduced to McLeod at the beginning of the movie, he's supposed to be, we learn later, just hundreds of years old. 500 years old at least. Yeah. yeah. He looks like he's in his mid to late 60s. Mm-hmm. And the voice that he's oh. doing is like a Skeksis from the Dark Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. When I first heard it, I was like, oh, he's doing a bit and then he's going to go back to his regular voice. This is like some little like game he's playing with whoever is in the scene with him. His voice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It sounds like this. It sounds like somebody uh, inhaled helium 
and then like autoerotic asphyxiated themselves while yeah. talking. It is, <laughs> yeah. it is true. You put that as a highlight. I put that as my top low light. It is so <laughs> unpleasant. It I is, was dying. I was like, this is like a, a puppet from Fraggle Rock is being slowly strangled and threatened under duress. And I love this character right now. What's the opposite of ASMR? Yeah. Oh, what's that disorder that I think I'm pretty sure I have where you're hypersensitive to unpleasant sounds? Oh. <laughs> I think that that, mm-hmm. that should have set that off in me. But instead, I was like, I was out of my seat. Like, I was up. <laughs> I was on sta- your feet, Sherry. <laughs> I was on my feet. Like, is this real? <laughs> is this an act? Is this like a funny thing his character is choosing to do, but not that the actor is choosing to do? No, that was just a Chris Lambert acting decision, and there are a lot of excellent acting decisions. The well, I also love talking about his his voice for a second. When he stops being old Albert Brooks McLeod and he turns into to young Tommy Wiseau McLeod, he's. <laughs> Uh, his accent also changes because when he's got the old squeaky voice, he has a distinctly American accent. Yes. And then it turns into this. I, it's certainly not a Scottish accent. It's no, not the accent know. that Sean Connery has. It's not the accent that uh, Katana has. It's a totally different sound coming out of his mouth. And you know what I bet that is? His character from the first movie, <laughs> but we'll never know. <laughs> Oh my god, I absolutely love that. That was a highlight for me. All of his voice decisions were a highlight. And um, I mean, there was a specific credit as, as I think, like right behind like assistant director. Oh, that you're gonna, I wrote this down too. It wasn't just makeup and costume or just makeup. It was like the old person makeup for uh, oh, really? Hi- Highlander's character. <laughs> That specific thing got its own costume credit, and that person got their own credit because, you know, of the great job they did making a man who's probably 41 look 65. But also... They gave him a few liver spots. With incredibly oscillating makeup. Like, it's not the same old age makeup the whole time. There are times where he looks extremely old. There are times where he, yeah, he looks like 50. It... It's not just lighting. Like, they're changing his face pretty regularly before he turns into Tommy Wiseau. Oh, my God. Yeah. he's He kind of just looks like um, like a like a well-aged, like, dad. Like, he could be my dad. This guy mm-hmm. just has, you know, like, he's about the right age to just be, like, a pretty good-looking dad. And yet his voice sounds like he is 1,000 years old <laughs> because of magic. Mm-hmm. Or because of wizardry, I didn't even know about the alien possibility until I read a bunch of stuff on the internet towards the end of the movie. Um, yep, so, oh. On credits for a second, I just wrote, because I thought you were going to say, in the very beginning, this is not part of the plot at all, but it felt like an Easter egg, which the line producer's name is Chris Chrysophis. I, I saw just, that. <laughs> I, I had to write it down. It's too good. It's got to be a joke name. It can't be a real person, but I'm sorry. Please continue. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, so I just have a lot of, uh, so many highlights. Did What was going on with the neon sign that just says rap? There's, well, I wrote this down. There's a neon sign that says opera and a neon sign that says rap. They're, they're the two musical genres in 2024, and they're each housed in one large building. Yeah, so like the opera sign is for an opera house. Mm-hmm. Then they just do, they do like one or two close shots, just like close-ups on a neon sign that just says rap. And I was thinking like, okay, this movie's the early 90s. They're probably going to segue into like 
a rap song in the background that's about the movie because it was about the right time for there to be some kind of like MC Hammer-esque like, I'm mm-hmm. going to dictate what's currently happening in the movie and let's get rapping. But it didn't It didn't happen. It was just like, oh, is that like a discarded plot thread or is that just because 90s rap, give, them, give the kids what they want? I think it, I, it feels like a deleted scene to me. Yeah. Like it feels like there's stuff in a, in a rap house that you just never get. You know, they do Cameron in the movie. Cameron has the DVD. I want to know what those deleted scenes mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, they, <laughs> I wrote down the soundtrack as a low light of this movie. Yeah. Uh, which we can talk about uh, in, in low lights. But when you talk about the, assuming there's like a, I'm Highlander and I'm here to say rap there, there isn't that, but there is a song that is clearly explaining the subtext, like the, the plot of the movie. Cause there's a song that repeats, oh, really? there can be only one, there can be only one, there can be only one. In the I background. didn't even catch that. That's amazing. Yeah. Was uh-huh. it one of the electric guitar songs that was like on the bus or something? It was in fact. Oh, yes. That, that scene, by the way. Okay. So Michael Ironside is the villain in this movie. And, um, there, there are a lot of people involved with the production of this movie that had not good things to say, but mm-hmm. none so none so vehemently as Michael Ironside. This is a beautiful quote that I pulled. Yeah, listen, I hated the script. <laughs> we all did. Me, Sean, Chris Lambert, we were all in it for the money on this one. I mean, it read as if it was being written by a 13-year-old boy. Dude, it definitely does. If I was going to be in a piece of shit like that movie, I was going to be the most memorable fucking thing in it. And I think I succeeded. (laughs) He was. He was. And I have to say that my number one highlight was Michael Ironside's tooth acting. Because that guy... Every time he appears on screen, peels back his top lip and just exposes his top teeth like best thing in the world. And my favorite scene, it's at the very beginning. It's that flashback scene that may or may not be on another planet. Unclear. Mm -hmm. And uh, he and the Highlander are like kind of having a face off. He just picks up an eel out of a pool of water and squeezes it to death <laughs> yep. and then peels back his lips into this hilarious grin and walks off screen and the eel emits like the sound of like a like a steam valve going off mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, wrote, I just wrote down everything in this movie is steampunk including the wildlife <laughs> <laughs> His acting in every scene is a highlight because he's taking it and like turning it to 11 and just breaking the knob off. And he's like a cartoon actor. It's so fun to watch on screen. So I have a question about Michael Ironside. Does he also play the porcupine man? Oh my God. He doesn't, but those dudes Uh, are pure cartoon. Are you sure? Because when, uh, when the first porcupine's, uh, head is cut off by the train car, it's definitely Michael Ironside's face underneath huh. his his porcupine mask. Oh, I didn't I'm, catch that at all. I I th- I could be wrong, but I think they're, it's they're his doing face. a lot of tooth work as well though, because they're trying to look kind of like rats, like kind of yeah. rodent like with their spiky weird hair and like Sonic the Hedgehog wig. Yeah, I huh. I so let's so there's two characters. The first people that go either from the alien planet to Earth or from. The negative six thousand to to twenty twenty four, whatever. Sure. They're 
they're men, sort of, in, with a porcupine, like crazy porcupine swept back hair, these like masks to look like rodent noses and yeah. I think maybe sharp teeth. You and, know what their wigs look like? They look like someone with hair plugs that let them like grow out. <laughs> Is that such a thing? I want the long, which model of hair plug do I want? I'm going to go with the XXXL. <laughs> it's like a like a not like a long Sonic the Hedgehog, but just like just plugs like maybe like thirty strands. Uh, anyway, go on. I hate them so much. I <laughs> they're they're my least favorite part of any movie that we've watched for this podcast and maybe ever. That I hate them. I hate their weird Power Rangers kung fu moves. I yeah. hate their sing songy yell where they do the like warriors come out to play shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hate that they laugh with their tongues out. I hate, I, I hate everything oh, the about tongues. them, except all oh, the tongues. Except for the hang gliding, I kind of love the the second yes. Porky Man who gets his head chopped off by an electric cord. Uh, is on. He gets in this like porcupine hang glider. He does ch- race with a McCloud on a hoverboard. Hoverboards where like they're just. La- Back to the Future too. Yeah, and they're just going in circles. Like it's not really a race <laughs> so much as like a, a, a merry-go-round. Uh, but you know what I loved that, about that, that part? Scene? I kind of liked. I love. I love that that scene was just like a, a solid timestamp on what visual effects and like practical effects could do in the early '90s. CGI not at the top of its game in 1991. Mm-mm. But they did know how to put people on wires. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of elements of this movie where I just wrote down like this is a middle cool, middle school stage production or like mm-hmm. no it's a high school stage production. It's a little advanced. Sure. sure. But they basically filmed this rat porcupine person on uh like on wires just kind of slowly swooping in circles mm-hmm. around the room and then Chris Lambert is on like a hoverboard slowly swooping in circles and that scene goes on for 6 minutes of them mm-hmm. just circling each other and figuring out ways to try to occasionally clash one sword and then more circles and sparks just emitting from every surface of the building um but what I thought was the best is that at no point did they need to cut out middle action like they just stayed they tracked people as they went on their little oscillation mm-hmm. and at no point did they need to speed any of the action up they're like nope. no no let it no. simmer let's watch him do an entire oscillation of the room and then get choked by Highlander. <laughs> it's fine that it takes 30 seconds people have the time they're already in their seats they've paid to see this movie you want to enhance the realism you know, yes. you don't you don't want to have any any special effects to take you out of the action. You want no. to be as real as you can. No, and you want things to happen in real time. It's like you're there. It it felt like it felt like I was there. Oh, I it felt like I was there. Uh, can we talk about Virginia Madsen and Highlander's? Um, what's her character's name? Uh, I can't. Louise uh, Marcus. Yes, um, Louise Marcus. Can we talk about her? And McCloud's sex scene for a hot second. Yes, yes, please. There's a lot about this that I hate. Uh, Manic kissing. (laughs) Manic kissing that is interrupted by introductions. (laughs) They start attacking each other's faces with a ferocity that is rarely seen on screen. And then they part mouths to say 
to introduce their last names. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 seconds later, he, I guess, is like raw-dogging Virginia Madsen. And then yep. five seconds later, the scene is over. They're done. Yep. They're not just last names, but where they're from. She's from Flagstaff, <laughs> Arizona. And he's from the <laughs> Clan McLeod. Uh, she's also, there's a Essential lot of confusion. Essential backstory. There's a lot of confusion about this. Because she, she's hanging out with him as old Albert Brooks beforehand. Yeah. And then he like, he explodes and turns young, and she watches this entire thing happen. She watches then, the magic happen and has right. not a lot of questions about then it. Then he comes out, she immediately fucks him, and yep. in the midst of initiating that, says, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she sure does. Yeah. That's a lot he of like, really confusing. He, like, lights up and suddenly becomes a young man, and there's it barely registers on her face, and then he's inside of her, and then he's outside of her. She... Okay, timeline. Old man. Two seconds later, young man. Two seconds later, inside of her. One second later, last names and hometowns. One second later, outside of her. (laughs) That scene happens in the blink of an eye, and I couldn't even believe it, and it doesn't fit the tone of the movie at all, because there's no other, like, sexy parts of the movie. It's not trying to be this, like, epic love story, or even, like, a sexy, like, kind of... It's not a dirty movie. It just has this one scene that felt personal. Like right. the, like someone intimate. who helped produce the movie needed that to be kept in or wrote it in in like a rewrite. And it just, it's amazing. Well, okay. So then we cut to the scene immediately after that where they're in McLeod's house. He's now dressed like Jerry Seinfeld from the show Seinfeld. And she's <laughs> wearing a giant nightgown at... A woman's nightgown at his house. Yes. So did they go home to her house and pick up the nightgown? Or does he have a giant woman's nightgown that fits specifically Virginia Madsen's portions? Oh, my God, dude. I I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. It's so big. (laughs) It's, yeah, no, it's it's a giant flowing ball gown of a nightgown. Uh, And then they do exposition again, which is nice. Yeah, there's an entire scene, which I honestly appreciated, where she just sums up everything we've learned thus far. So let me get this straight. <laughs> you have, uh, like, been flashed to the future, and then there's going to be some guys that come meet you in the future. And she goes on to explain this, like, uh, it's kind of like a, a, a dossier of different outcomes. Mm-hmm. Just like... If there's more, if there's more new guys that come, then you have to kill them, and then more people might come, and then you have to kill them. And once you kill them, then you have the choice to go back to the back to where you came from or stay here. But if they die, I was like, oh, this this scene seems like a rewrite, or seems like they did a test audience. The focus group no like nobody understands. The focus group did on. not know what the hell was going on. You know probably um, why? Because they had seen Highlander 1 and were so confused <laughs> about how it was so different. Oh, my God. So, um, apparently, after reading up on this a little bit, the rest, because there's three, four, and five Highlanders after mm-hmm. this. The, mm-hmm. There's a bunch of sequels and then the series, um, of course, but... Sequels three to five pretend that this didn't happen. Didn't happen. Nope. So they just pick up where Highlander left off and ignore Highlander two because of its box office, uh, like just you know, absolute failure. Absolute failure. Um, 
Yeah, so one thing I think that needs to be said is that this movie was rewritten uh, after a lot of the actors had signed on and after everybody was contractually obligated to stick with this movie. Mm-hmm. And at that point, no one could back out. So Christopher Lambert... What an awesome Lamb- bait and switch. So funny. It's such a good little whoopsie-daisy. Like Christopher Lambert, Highlander, hated the rewritten script so much that he tried to drop out, but he was prevented from doing it by the studio because he was already locked in. And um, apparently the like the great controlling uh, factor of this movie was not the director or even like most of the producers that the director worked with. It was the foreign distributors and all of this other like background nonsense really? that had like a greater say in where the plot went and what kind of rewrites people wanted. So it makes sense that the director of this movie walked out at the premiere after 15 minutes because he didn't even know what movie he was watching. Right. Was it like an early AI that made these decisions? Like how would... How would a human being come to some of the choices? I appreciate that this movie makes choices. It does It does not it shy makes, away from choices. It makes a lot of choices. It doesn't shy away from choices. When given the choice to make like seven different arbitrary choices instead of just continuing with like one normal plot thread, it it's daring, it's unexpected, and it's my favorite thing in the world, this movie. For, for instance... Yes. I, actually, I can we rabbit hole for a second mm-hmm. on because we're about to get to the, the portion of the plot where Sean Connery returns. Yeah. And every single decision that they make about Sean Connery is a really weird. I'm not going to call it laudable, but kind of respectable choice. Not that it's good, but it, they're bold choices. So he returns and is plopped down in the middle of a production of Hamlet. Yes. Uh, that he then does not notice that Hamlet is going on. I uh, think that he does notice, and he appreciates how many people are just watching him be him. He looks around, he's he like eventu- aware of- He eventually notices, but in the beginning, he's like, why are you talking to that skull? Talk to me. <laughs> I may have been You're, distracted let because... Let your friend his- go. Just let your friend go, man. I may have been distracted because of his giant pearl earring was... So- his I- currency, you mean? Yeah, right. His <laughs> clearly thousands of dollars, immediately identifiable as thousands of dollars worth uh, pearl earring. He then yes. eventually turns around, acknowledges the audience. They give him a standing ovation and he leaves the stage. Yeah, uh, so he ruins a piv- pivotal scene in Hamlet. And I just kept wondering, like, who is this audience <laughs> that willingly attended a performance of Hamlet but cannot wait to watch it get ruined. Like <laughs> someone stoked. appears and it, and is just calling like the actors shitheads and like just like I don't know inventing non sequiturs and generally just kind of bullying around the stage and everyone's like falling over in their seats enjoying it. And he's like wielding a weapon. Like it's all right. very like it's kind of threatening, it's kind of like funny, but Literally, who are these theater goers that are like, you know what I hate? The thing I paid to see, this guy. Also, for this audience, there was a moment they're watching the Yorick scene with two people on stage and a, and a skull. And yeah. then suddenly there's an old Scottish man on stage with a ponytail. And nobody notices, nobody fucking bats an eyelash. No, he has he... gone from non-corporeal to corporeal in the blink of an eye. From, from non-existence to stage presence. He's magicked onto stage out of the clear blue sky. He appears out of nowhere. And I would, 
I would say that most people's reaction is just either no reaction or annoyance. Yeah. <laughs> Slight yep. irritation. This guy, come right. on. I also like that Hamlet, you know, there's a Hamlet just breaks character, breaks accent. It's like, man, can you get off stage, please? Not like also that. not how you're supposed to handle that. Uh, no. And then the fucking stage manager comes out and yells at him. Anyway, okay, so he he walks away. He walks in front of a bunch of TV cameras, uh, or like one of those. It's a very stranger in a strange land moment where he walks in front of like yeah the nine mirror. TV cameras and. Uh, or nine TVs and a camera on him and he sees himself and he loves himself and he goes in to get new clothes and he has a, uh, pays with a pearl earring that the guy in the, like the tailor immediately understands is worth so much money that all of the store's policies go out the window and they're going to give him cigars and scotch whiskey, uh, in a montage to the tune of William Tell Overture. Yeah. Uh, he then gets on an airplane, uh, a like 1940s style prop plane in 2024. Every, everything's 1940s in this movie. It's all World War II era, like hospitals, airplanes, like it, costume and cars. And then everything else is like 1980s. Except for the in-flight movie on the plane. That which thing is an, was funny. Which, an airplane going down and eventually crashing in a ball of fire. Like that, another decision that the movie made. Why yeah. I could not tell you. It felt like a little SNL sketch on the side, like a like an after eleven thirty B B side SNL sketch where they're doing an in flight movie, um, like or not an in flight movie. They're doing a safety in flight uh, presentation rundown, yeah. presentation, but then the plane's actively crashing. Everyone's got their oxygen masks on. They're all screaming and, um, instructing you about what to do as the plane actively just glides into a mountainside. I was like, Oh, that's kind of like campy and fits a different movie, but I guess it was It's from airplane is what it is. It's the, like, it, totally yeah, it was like I feel like I'm watching airplane. It's a different genre and it would probably be sort of funny in 1991 context. If this was Mel Brooks film, but yeah. you know, the, whatever they did so, something. So there's, and then in the plane flight, he's hitting on like mercilessly, aggressively hitting on this woman oh, next to him. He whispered something filthy into her ear and they wouldn't even let us hear what it was. That's <laughs> it did, how bad it was. It did start with a sibilant S. So I'm pretty sure he says suck dick, but... Uh, she giggles. She's like, she does hee, giggle. Hee. She giggles. Yeah. He then also makes a cunnilingus joke later that she's super into. He also says to her... Oh, I missed the cunnilingus is, joke. Is, well, I'm not, it's not precise. I'll say in a second. Uh, he says the most beautiful women had dark hair. Yes, this woman like has Cleopatra dark hair. Helen of Troy, Cleopatra, Nefertiti, Joan of Arc, who was 14, 13 or 14. Not, oh, yeah. not great, Sean. Not great. Well, uh, it's not. It's worth noting that during the production of this movie, he was sued for sexual harassment by the assistant director. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I actually tried to figure out who it was because I looked at the list of assistant directors and they were all male. So I'm sure someone had their name pulled. But Yikes. apparently he was sued. Um, uh, you know, he's Sean Connery. He's Sean Connery. It's, he, he never stops being who he is. And yeah. I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I'm just saying it happened in a different point in time where we can look at uh, kind of like under a microscope. Like this was a type of man 
who mm-hmm. got on Barbara Walters' show and explained how sometimes you can slap a woman. That's oh my a guy, God. That's a guy who existed. What? Do you not know about this? No. What? I, for, I don't have the actual quote, but he definitely condones slapping women on Barbara Walters' show. Like, he's a fucking crazy human being. <laughs> and now he's Christ. now he's functionally disappeared for like almost 15, 20 years. So everyone just kind of forgets that he was never a good guy. He was always like 1960s money penny james bond yeah. to his core and is oh he's bad news bears man yowza yowza but but you know so he's in this movie so the cunnilingus joke after he whispers in the woman's hair uh about something clearly very sexual yes uh, they uh the flight attendant asks if they want in-flight dining and he says i i never eat anything i can't identify of course yeah. that's not always true and then she laughs Oh, ew. Which also, <laughs> I mean, Sean, you can identify a vagina. Like what you are you talking about? Are you tapping into a wealth of experience or not? Is this a self-diss? Can't this identify. Is... <laughs> <laughs> what is this? What is this? Okay. Um, okay, so this is a quick aside. The director of this movie hated it so much that he tried to get his name removed from the credits <laughs> and get credited as, quote, Adam Smithy. But he was forbidden from doing so because if he went under Adam Smithy, then it would kind of remove him from the contractual obligation to, like, his uh, non-disclosure agreement with something about it legally would be considered an aggressive act under contract and then he could be talking shit about the movie before it was released so they were like no 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 you got to put your real name on this and you got to keep your trap shut until people start going to see it in the theaters and then say what you want to say and then when people like, stop going to see it in the theaters immediately talk what you want <laughs> the director tried to get his name stripped from the movie it's wild it's wild i can't imagine why though because guess what it's fucking awesome this movie slaps this movie slaps. It slaps it slaps the entire time there are so many action sequences at the end. It's like they could have peppered them throughout, but they just hammer them into the last 30 minutes, and then it's just nothing but swords and explosions all the way down. I I have a question. Yes. Uh, would you be able to identify the climax of this movie and the falling action of this movie and, like, the resolution of this movie? Falling action does... Falling action... Oh, do you mean credit sequence? No, no, no. I'm just saying, like... <laughs> no, this I mean, movie, that's this movie the is, only possible falling action. It's is rising the... action the entire time. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the climax, I think, happens, like, three minutes before the movie ends. Yeah, and then it's over. It's and that's over. that's all there is. It's, it's kind of a will-they-or-won't-they-decapitate-one-another you're given mm-hmm. that opportunity. You're given that um, decision at the beginning when they announce, like, at some point there must be only one, and the only way to kill them is to decapitate each other. So Highlander's got to like take down General Katana. I don't know why it takes so fucking long, and I don't know why they have to go through like six different sets in order to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they end up um, on a mountain overlooking. Uh, the perimeters of this electromagnetic shield eventually yeah Yeah. which is how they turn it off um how they determine wait no what actually does happen he he's able to ascend to be above the level of the electromagnetic yeah there's like a hole in the electromagnetic field so they can get up and see that there's that the atmosphere is fine 
Yeah, he's Which like part this of the, guy's... the B the A B plot of this movie that is, I guess, the primary plot, but feels totally tangential to the movie. Yeah, yeah definitely. They, they discover the atmosphere is fine. So They're... the climax. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, really, it's just it's a series of action sequences where he's battling General Katana, um, and eventually, one of their heads ceases to be connected to the neck. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Yeah, it's the. It the is written is like a thirteen-year-old boy wrote it. I rem- before I even read that quote, I wrote down: "Is this a middle school play written by a middle school boy?" Because it's just, <laughs> it's a lot of tough guy lines. It's a lot of like action sequences, and it's a lot of stuff that seems like it was taken from other movies. But I don't know. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's not a lot of plot at the end of this movie. The yeah, that the last fight scene where uh, McLeod and Katana are fighting, this is stupid, but I couldn't help but notice that uh, Katana has a broadsword and McLeod has a katana. Why doesn't fucking Katana have a katana? I, I don't know. I don't know. If you're going to have a katana time. in the scene. <laughs> I don't understand why he doesn't have a katana the whole time. Also, fun fact, those guys did their own stunts like for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was uh, Michael Ironside dislocated his jaw because they insisted on using real broadswords. So yeah. in a, like a lot of these scenes, like it's just these heavy ass swords and people who are like, I guess, kind of trained in stage combat. He dislocated his jaw and uh, Chris Lambert actually sliced through his finger to the bone because <laughs> it. Because they were using or, real swords. Maybe I got maybe I got those switched, but yeah, I think, someone's I think finger Ironside's almost got finger. severed and someone's jaw got dislocated and then they use some stuntmen after that yeah uh, or fake swords fake swords after yeah. that uh respect it's so wild it's and so wild for connery we could finish up what he does in the movie in another like minute and a half the connery in this movie is a very like this food is terrible in such small portions he's yeah. barely he's 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 his character is bizarrely is bizarre and obnoxious in this movie, and he's barely in it in a way that I found really, uh, really troubling. So he's, he comes, he meets McLeod, he immediately intuits everything about what's going on, tells McLeod what to do, they break into a prison, uh, go through this, like, Bonnie and Clyde shootout sequence that clearly the director was really excited to make, or somebody in the fucking movie was really excited to make, and it was terrible and I hated it. Uh, And then they do... They come back because they can regenerate whenever they, they get killed and the head's cut off. He, they do this, like, Three Stooges comic pratfall punch to knock out two guards, take their clothes, and then he gets uh, killed in a fan room. Yeah. But not by the fan. His head is not chopped off. He just uses all of his body energy to stop the fan and open the doors, I guess, and yeah. then dies, maybe? Yeah, that uh, was the main thing that... You know what? I'm going to let go of the fact that this movie even had a predecessor because I don't think anything that happens in Highlander 2 has anything to do with Highlander 1, but I was trying to figure out, like, what is this weird magic that they're harnessing? Is it magic? Is it, like, a wizardry? Is it some kind of alien life force? Because they're channeling, like, like literal lightning into their bodies, and then they surge with energy, and then they do stuff. And I don't know if that's explained or if i'm just an idiot but i couldn't figure it out never i was certainly never explained in this movie yeah (laughs) Uh, oh yeah so he really wasn't in this movie that much and 
I mean, fucking good for him though. Yeah. Three point five mil for like no, he wrung a everything week's he could worth out of, of acting. He did it. It's it's not a Sean Connery heavy movie, but it is an essential Sean Connery movie. Yeah, I was, you got I would it. recommend this it. to absolutely everyone. Watch it and just appreciate it for the um masterpiece that it is. What what were other highlights for you? Because there's some things that we haven't gotten to that they're they're, for me, they're somewhere between highlights and lowlights, but they're lights that we have to talk about. Uh, is there any highlights you haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet? Oh, God, so many things So many things that I've mentioned were highlights, but um, yeah, I think there was this moment where for absolutely no reason, they, they show a sequence from like a cooking show on TV. Psychic cook. Yep. It's called The Psychic Cook, and it's like, wacky new show, The Psychic Cook, with, uh, it's like paranormal ghost co-hosts and from beyond the grave, and it's these two ghosts that are just kind of creating mayhem on the set. That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> anything. They just, they cut to a TV, and then towards the end of the commercial for this wacky cooking show, they just pan away from the TV and back into the scene, and you're like, huh. Yep. Sure. <laughs> I liked it though. That was a highlight. Like, yeah. there's a lot of mini movies included in this movie. It felt like some PA was given a job, and they're like, "Ah, oh, Jeremy like went and did all this work though. Just put it in. <laughs> put it in the movie." There are some art direction choices that I really respect in this. Uh, yes. Just like there's there's only one part of the movie that is just like a good a scene from a good movie, uh, but Virginia Madsen walking up the stairwell is just oh. a scene from a good movie. Yeah, that uh, was good. Yeah, it was solid. The and this is not a scene from a good movie, but it is a, another really. It's a real choice. Uh, as right the like the last moment before uh, old squeaky Albert Brooks McLeod becomes new Tommy Wiseau McLeod, uh, an oil tanker hits him, or a gas tanker with the lips with giant lips on the front of it. <laughs> so he's kissed by this gas tanker that explodes and explodes the rest of the city. Uh, yes. And then Virginia Madsen fucks him. But the moment of the lips, like, just kissing him and exploding was Amazing. not good, but absolutely incredible. Yeah, and it, it it led me to, I was thinking, like, is this some kind of, like, little, is it, a like, a visual pun? Should I be, like, getting some kind of, like, ki- like a kiss metaphor? Or was this just a random art direction decision where someone decided, like, you know what would be funny? If he was kissed by the oil tank. Oh, like like literally and metaphorically? No, just, you know, I paint some lips on it. You're not following me? I'm going to paint some lips on it. No, 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 Steve, we, we get it. But like, is there another meaning in addition to this meaning? I said lips on it. Going to paint the lips on We're it. We're just going to give him a smooch. We're going to have him give it a smooch. Right in the kiss. Okay, why not? We're putting fucking everything else in this movie. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and say John C. McGinley, I know you're going to disagree with me, but John C. McGinley's acting choices were actually a highlight for me Hmm. because he feels like he's in a different movie. (laughs) Oh, for sure. He kind of always, you know, he's got his like sort of one character that he plays, but with varying degrees of comedy, like he's either going to be purely like hard ass, tight lipped, like platoon John C. McGinley, or he's going to have shades of sarcasm and like goofiness in the background. Yeah. Scrubs McGinley. But um, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. (laughs) (laughs) But he, he doesn't take a bite out of crime. He takes a bite out of this role that I really thought 
was admirable and also uh, ill-fitting in a fun way. He just kind of feels like he's trying to be a better actor in a movie that no one needs him to be a good actor for. Mm-hmm. He's being a little campy, but he's not on the cheesy, like, one-liner barreling the camera angle that uh, Michael Ironside is on. He's on a different playing field. I do like the scenes where they are together because they're two villains acting in different movies. Yes, like, definitely. They're, they're the antagonists together of two different plots that have nothing to do with each other, but they're together because, as far as I can tell, the screenwriter doesn't know what else to do. It's like watching one person think that they're Coyote in Wiley Coyote, like in mm-hmm. Wiley Coyote, he's in Looney Tunes, and the other person think that they're in like a, a high, uh, like an a F- FBI espionage, yeah. like, like concept kind of drama. Yeah, like a shitty Departed. Yeah, like yeah. like shitty like eighties one off Departed, and then they just cut their scenes together to be like one thing. Yeah, the culminating in this scenes at the end where they're in a this was so confusing to me so yeah toward the toward the climax end of the movie uh john c mcginley and michael ironside uh john c mcginley yeah he's playing like his effectively like rand corporation ceo and yeah. michael ironside's whatever the hell general katana he is are best dude ever are <laughs> are in this room together uh what like trying to figure out where McLeod and Virginia Madsen are. But at the same time, like moments prior, Katana has been on the truck with McLeod and Virginia Madsen driving yeah. right toward the place that they're going. And somehow the like time space dynamics of him being in two places at once and at one point knowing exactly where they are and being there and another point having no idea where they are. And then it <laughs> flips back and forth in time between them with no explanation as though the person cutting the movie together just forgot that that's how it worked. I Okay. So I can offer a little insight. Um, Remember how I said that the director was not aware of what the theatrical cut was going to look like? Oh. It's because it was finished by an by their insurance company. <laughs> this is another one finished <laughs> another by an insurance Another one. Another example. Henry and I had talked about the, uh, the 2008-2010 movie, I think we could call it. Um, what was it? Fast Food? Food Fight. called? Food fight, yeah. Anyway, there's this really funny movie, which is an example of something just going undistributed for years and then eventually getting finished by the insurance company to recoup their losses. This movie wasn't recouping losses, but it it did have to uh, to just eventually get finished off by the insurance company and also because their main, um, I am guessing, priority, if I'm reading all of this like post stuff correctly, was distribution and like and foreign distribution. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like visual effects and a lot of the editing was just like a huge departure from what the first half of that had been. So there's all these people that were being paid to come into work and make a movie. And then it got down to the wire and they were like, yeah, we're going to need to just get this done faster and bring in new people because you have like two more weeks. And now this is a different movie. So like the editor even said something about it being like, not his baby, not the thing he had set out to make. And I, I think it's so funny to think about an insurance company taking the reins at the 11th hour. So good. And uh, it makes a lot of sense, though. So as, when 
when McLeod and Virginia Madsen are dr- in that scene are driving to the like the hole in the ozone electromagnetic field, I was just, and uh, and like M- Michael Ironside has found them and then he's back. I was trying to figure out where are they? Where are they? Where are they going to? How did they get? Are they in the Himalayas? Did they drive the Himalayas that fast? From I know, America? I was trying to figure out where they were. They were in a, like a mountainous area. This movie was shot in Argentina, so it's possible that they took that as like inspiration and went up into the mountains. In- entirely fair. The the thing about it though is that the movie is v- is extraordinarily explicit exactly where this is supposed to be because they yes. give latitude and longitude to this location. Yeah, I looked up they... the latitude and longitude of this location. It is the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> They give the wrong ones. It's like it would have been so easy for someone to just fact check and be like, oh, latitude and longitude. I know that Google didn't exist, but cartography existed in 1991. Out of the clear blue sky. They just, they cast, it was, was, you know what it was? It was a bold decision. (laughs) It was. It was definitely a bold decision. They were like, here's one number. Wait, hang on. Second number. No one's going to look it up. It could be it could be the Falklands. It doesn't fucking matter. Just get over it. What are they gonna go to the library and look it up, Steve? What? What? Oh, some nerd is gonna look up where this movie's supposed to take place, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. Uh that was awesome. And I don't know where those mountains are supposed to be, but I I felt like I missed something and I just kinda let it go. I thought, well, okay, I've been doing a lot of Googling, like movie trivia and trying to figure out what people had in their like filmography at this point because the last half hour of the film is just nothing but action sequences so i like admittedly checked out a little bit (laughs) i'm happy to hear that i wasn't the only one that was confused by that scene because i thought it was my own like cognitive problem (laughs) oh it's incredibly vexing uh it is not the part of the movie that is the most vexing to me there's Mm. a part of the movie that i hate profoundly I enjoyed a lot of this movie. I got a lot out of it. It's fun. I recommend it. Yeah. But the the scene, the moment that Michael Ironside comes to Earth and enters a subway car, everything oh. from the beginning of that scene to the end of that scene was a, a crime against humanity. So the part at the beginning, right, where the guy's watching like Godzilla. He's watching he Godzilla. Michael Ironside him. looks out the window, says, this sure doesn't look like Kansas, does it? Which presumably means that Katana knows about the Wizard of Oz. How Katana knows about the Wizard of Oz from the past and or other planet is a great question. How does he have pop culture references? He then goes to the front of the train uh, on this subway and yep. cranks the speed of the train to 700 miles per hour. Yes. Uh, which then causes people in the train to fly around like they're in outer space, which is not how physics works. There's a moment like people's uh, faces are going to the side of the train with blood gushing everywhere. And there's a moment they zoom in on a guy's claymation face that looks like a Mr. Potato Head made corporeal where like they've shrunk wrapped his face and put his eyes bulging out and it's grotesque. And then the train just busts through the wall and stops cold after going 700 miles per hour through the subway. And then... Uh, Katana gets off and says, hey, it's your last stop. He makes a last stop joke, which is also a pop culture reference to contemporary America that he has no way of knowing. I know. I hate That's, it. That scene was crazy. Also, the soundtrack during that scene becomes like kind of, um, it was like a 80s hair metal electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, here we fucking go. I've been <laughs> waiting for this moment. Like, 
are we not going to have fun? Is this not a place of fun where we have like modern music and people barreling the camera and practically staring right at the lens and being like, last up. I absolutely disagree. I Once that scene happened, I was like, now this is a movie that he knows he's in. He knows he is in this movie, this movie we're watching. I don't know what the fuck it's about to be, but I am on a ride. Yeah. <laughs> it it's was, a bold it was, decision. It's a bold it decision. It was a decision. Yeah, man. He kills a lot of people. There, He killed a kid. He did. He definitely killed a child. Yeah, uh, child passed away. Uh, shot a kid. Uh, <sighs> so... Dude, this movie, though, I wonder what Highlander 1 is like. <laughs> we might have to watch Highlander 1. Not for this <laughs> podcast, just for fun. Uh, if So if you were going to be a character in this movie... Oh. Oh, if I could be a character. I mean, I wouldn't have initially picked General Katana, but in light of Michael Ironside's attitude towards playing General Katana... Fuck yeah, man. He gets to just, he squeezes eels to death and murders innocent people and then just giggles to himself and bares his teeth and peels his lips back over his face and makes wild, crazy eye gestures. I'm like, yeah, that dude is, that dude is clocking in for a day's work and spending his life chasing his bliss. Yeah, no, I mean, he's having a great time. He's having a great time. No one would have more fun on set than the person playing that character. And so I feel like, and in terms of how I'd like to spend my time, I think that would be a solid clock in, clock out situation where no one's monitoring what the <laughs> fuck I'm doing. There's no oversight. There's no cut and take it from a 10 to a 4. There's just like, well, you said the lines and now next scene. <laughs> Efficiency. You said the lines key. at 15 and whatever, man. We're, we're moving it's forward. Fine. You said them loud and that's what counts. I, so Katana's a good choice. Uh, the I uh, there's a cabbie in this movie. Yes. Oh that, yeah. Uh, it takes Katana to McLeod's house, and he's he is having like the time of his life as a cabbie. He's making all these weird assumptions. He assumes that Katana is is in the music business and talks about how he should set him up with his sister who's in the music business. Because of then her Katana tattoos. Put, puts a sword through the window, and he is the cabbie is stoked. He tries to set him up with his sister. Yeah, says, you could, you're you in the music business, yeah. I can tell. You guys should compare tattoos. You should get together. And that guy's <laughs> joie de vivre, his commitment to looking on the bright side. I know that he dies in horrific fashion immediately thereafter, but I don't care. He is, he's made, his, he's chased his bliss. He's a cabbie in a dystopian future, and he's loving it, and he's embracing everything that comes his way. I love him. I love him, and I'd be him, because I like how he's, he thinks. He's yes and in Katana, He's the perfect sidekick because everything mm-hmm. Katana kicks in both his headlights and stabs the wheel of the cabbie's car and says, put this on my tab and save a little again, like cut out a little extra for yourself. There's no tab, but that dude is fucking game. And dude I think stoked. that means I think that means that we're going to make a wonderful team because we just picked the best two characters in the movie. <laughs> yep. I will destroy your cab, but you can put it on my tab. <laughs> yeah, that scene's great. Yeah, that guy is great. It's solid. This movie's solid. We would usually ask how to make solid. this movie good. This movie's good. I like this movie. I would change nothing about this movie except maybe cut down the action sequences at the end just to, you know, like 
make you cherish the moments you have and not have an embarrassment of riches because there's just so many explosions. Right, or just speed like... up the acting sequences. Yeah. Acting, yeah, acting at, at the very Yeah, at the very least, speed up the sword fights. Just, come on. Come on, guys. Uh, but honestly, I love this experience. People should see and... this movie. It's, it's, not, it's not a good movie, but it is a movie worth watching that you'll enjoy. Yeah, if you meet it on its terms and you're cool with the fact that it has nothing, I'm assuming, can't speak from experience, to do with Highlander 1. Just dismantling an entire universe that they took a pretty successful first film to build. Seems seems like a solid recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I don't... Okay, do you know what the quickening means? No, that was a question. Uh, I... It's when bread rises, right? That when you put yeast in bread, it quickens, right? <laughs> so the the active agent is ma- <laughs> uh, a- alien magic. <laughs> alien magic yeast. Yeah, I don't. I this is, feels like the sort of thing where they came up with the title of the movie without thinking of what it meant and just went with it. Like the quickening is a cool subheading for a movie. I don't know what it means. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It was a Mad Lib that someone filled in before the script was even written, and then they didn't got bother to go back and fix it. But I'm yep. fine with that. It's fun to say. Yeah. I'd quicken it. Yeah, man. Two thumbs all the way up. This was a wild ride, and it was, uh, and it was just completely disenfranchised from the rest of the Highlander, which I mm-hmm. think only gives it a more solid vote of confidence, in my opinion. Yeah. I adore this movie. Uh, yeah. This, is, this okay. has been a much longer version of this podcast than usual, but it was necessary because this movie, yeah, there's man. a lot to talk about. Um, a lot to be celebrated here. Yeah. Well, well Michelle, this was, I'm so glad we got to take this journey together. Uh, me too. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll uh, be back in two weeks. Another episode of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, I've been Henry. And I've been Michelle. Uh, an experiment and fast forward to the future of acting. Okay, bye everybody, goodbye.